Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the History Hotline. Today we'll be looking at race as a social construct and race as an idea um, and as a tool used um, today in the past for different political agendas and the importance of race and the way that it's defined and how it shapes how we see the world, how we see each other within the world. So as I'm sure you're aware, it's Black History Month and the idea of you know Black History Month, a month that celebrates the history of black people, I think it's only right that we define what blackness is and what that means for us today and I wanted to contextualise this because I feel like it's a debate that kind of comes up and rears its head quite often and I wanted to look at it in a particular context um, that is quite relevant for today. It takes us over to America and we will be looking at a little bit more American history today than we usually do but we will of course bring it back to Britain and looking at blackness in Britain and what that means here. But I thought I'd play a clip for you first just to introduce the kind of main reason why we'll be talking about race today. This clip is taken from a new show in 2018. Uh, about Kamala Harris during a radio interview this morning. She was asked about people questioning that she's not black enough. And I found it was important how she answered it and what she said. Let me play for you what she said. So, yes, we are talking about Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris is the California state senator, and she is also Joe Biden's running mate and the Democratic vice presidential candidate in the upcoming uh, US election. Now, I will go into her response to this question later on in the podcast, but I do want to talk about blackness and the kind of history of blackness and defining yourself or other people as black and what that has meant historically and why now there are questions over whether Kamala Harris um, is able to be defined as black, can call herself black, um, is being referred to as black by other people and what that really means and why these definitions have been created and why they continue to persist within society today. So as we mentioned last week, race is a social construct and obviously black is a race. It wasn't always a race. If we go back to 1776, uh, there was a German scientist called Johann Friedrich Blumenbach and he was one of the first people to attempt to categorise humans according to race. He decided that there would be five categories and they were Caucasian, Mongolian, Malayan, Ethiopian and American. So he believed everyone should fall into one of those five categories. Now, the world in 1776 was not as developed and it hadn't been, should we say, as explored as it was now and as it is now. So those five categories, you might be thinking, I don't even know what category I would fit into. I don't either. Um, but th those were the five categories he came up with. And Americans bought into this thinking. And now remember in 1776, well, not remember, you weren't there. Um, but Americans were technically just British people that had left Britain. Um, Britain colonised America and the people that moved there were those that saw life in this new colony as a profitable place. And then there was obviously the War of Independence, which is why Americans have an Independence Day on the 4th of July, where the now kind of few generations on Americans decided that they didn't want to be paying the taxes and living under the sovereign of the Queen or the King at the time, I'm not sure. And so 
these next kind of two generations or so of British people in America define themselves as Americans and start buying into this thinking that categorises humans um, within separate racial groups. Now, you might be thinking, what was the actual benefit of that? Well, at that time, you know, 1776 in America, the benefit of that was that they could use it as a justification for who had a natural right to freedom and who otherwise had no rights and was born um, enslaved and they believed that the separation of blackness and whiteness um, was the justification for slavery and so white people had a natural right to be born free and black people were denied that freedom because they were fundamentally different or believed to be so. So as you can see at that point there was a political agenda at play as to who would be defined as black and white, because that would decide who could be enslaved and who would be free. And as political priorities have changed over the course of history, these racial definitions have actually adjusted. Uh, we're going to fast forward to, let's say, 1929, just as an example. If you were of, say, Mexican birth or ancestry, you would have been considered white in America. However, by 1930, the census had changed so that you, as a Mexican person of birth or ancestry, you were now non-white because they wanted to limit immigration in the US and by defining people as, you know, other than white, they were allowed to control that. Now, fast forward to 1942, 12 years later, um, the same. if you were the same person um, born of Mexican birth or ancestry, you, you now defined as white according to the law and according to the census because the US needed to extend its labour force during World War II um, and needed more workers and so were happy to have Mexican people identifying as white. Now, as you can see, within a space of, what, 1929 to 1942, um, only about 13 years, the definition of, of whiteness in this case has shifted and that is consistently how it has shifted throughout history for a whole range and ple for a whole range and multitude of different types of people whether they are to be defined as black and white or white sorry and it's very interesting because obviously I mentioned Mexican people who we wouldn't often maybe even think about putting in a category of black or white um, which is in a similar case of uh, Kamala Harris because her mother is um, Asian, her mother is Indian and her father is Jamaican. So the question of whether she gets to be black or not with an Asian mother is causing the issue for why you know she can or cannot define herself as black. And we don't often think about people maybe that are outside of being black or white. You know, this isn't just a black and white story. There's lots of grey areas, um, and we're going to get into those in a second. But I'm going to continue going through the history of different racial definitions in different contexts, just so you can see how fickle it is as a, as a social construct, because it's constantly changing based off of someone's political agenda or, you know, the political ideology that is most prevalent at the time. So just another example about race being a social construct and another way this has manifested itself historically. I'm going to stay in America. We're going to talk about blackness. And I don't know if you've heard of the one drop rule. So this idea that having one drop of black blood makes you black. So it doesn't matter if you appear to be white aesthetically, you know, your parents look white aesthetically, but there is one drop of black blood, which is literally physically impossible because... 
DNA and your racial structure, makeup doesn't work like that. You know, it's all about, I think, the chromosomes and the the genes. If I'm right, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure you can't just have black blood because black people bleed in the same way as white people. It's all the same. Um, and so, yeah, the one drop rule was this idea if you had essentially one drop of black blood. So any parent within your ancestry, literally, if that black person in your family was 17 generations away um, back into the past you would still be classified as black now the one drop rule was actually only law in certain states um at a certain point of time in american history there were other rules there was the one quarter rule and the one sixteenth rule which just like the one drop rule meant that depending on how much black you had within your quote-unquote blood you were defined to, as black. And obviously, if you were defined as black, then it was legally okay for you to be enslaved. Um, if you're defined as white, then it's not. But obviously, with a, something like the one-drop rule, most people are going to be falling into um, the categorization of black, uh, which obviously means there was more people to enslave. Now, all of these rules were law in different states at exactly the same time. So, in theory... If you crossed state lines, you would go from black to white, <laughs> from literally one state to the next, depending on obviously how quote unquote black you were, which just shows how ridiculous it is in a sense, because obviously we can compare the labels and categorizations of blackness across the world. For example, someone who has a white parent and a black parent in the UK would be called mixed race. Whereas maybe 15, 20 years ago, they might have been referred to as half-caste. Uh, in South Africa, they would be called coloured. And they might be referred to as multiracial or biracial in America. The labels are all different. However, these are labels that differ over, over countries and time periods. But the labels in America were literally at the same time, just across state lines, the amount of quote-unquote black you were was changing and impacting, you know, what you were categorised and defined as and your legal rights because of it. And that's the thing with race um, and defining it. It's always because of some political agenda of what you can define yourself as and what you are going to be categorised as. I think the best example of that is the brown paper bag test uh, in American history, which was a discriminatory practice and it was basically comparing the skin tone of a person with a brown paper bag and if they were darker than the brown paper bag they were not extended the privileges of that certain setting or scenario and if they were lighter than they were and the paper bag test was used in churches um, it was used in institutions like universities in fraternities sororities in nightclubs sometimes and it was basically you know saying if you are this light which would obviously assume you had a certain amount of whiteness in you and less blackness then you were allowed to have this privilege, you were allowed to enter this club, you were allowed to go to this university. But if you weren't, then you were not allowed to do so. I think this just highlights how ridiculous it it was that race racial categorizations were being used in this way. And obviously it ties in with issues surrounding colorism because this is like a key thing of colorism. It's not necessarily uh, just racism um, on its own it is combined with colorism because you know defining someone as a different shade of brown based off of a paper bag 
is clearly very problematic, uh, but also isn't just, you know, linked to racism. I think it would be a good time to just say that, you know, race as a science does not exist. Race, especially in the context of today in this pandemic, it has been linked to health outcomes. We've been speaking of, you know, black people and the BAME community. I hate that term. Black people and Asian people um, within Britain um, and America, actually, have been faced with a disproportionate amount of COVID deaths um, over the last few months. And obviously, in this conversation, we are linking race with health outcomes and it doesn't actually make sense. What is really at play here is race being used as a substitute for other factors. So... You know, when we talk about things like sickle cell, which um, disproportionately affects black people, it's not just because of the fact that you are black. It is kind of disguising the idea of where your ancestors came from. So whether that be Africa or the Caribbean or a different country, it also overshadows your socioeconomic status, which obviously link into your living conditions and the fact that they have an impact on health, which is what we've seen, you know, when these statistics have been broken down in Britain. We've got multi-generational families. Um, black and Asian people might be more likely to be living in poorer conditions um, and living closer to the poverty line, which has exacerbated the factors um, and the fact that there might be other, you know, underlying health conditions and issues which impact the effects of coronavirus. I'm not going to get too deep into to this pandemic and coronavirus and things like that because it's as a as a historian I'm going to leave it to the scientists and the professionals with that we're going to head back to Britain and back to some British history to explain how race has been defined uh, within Britain and then we're going to get back to Kamala Harris and you know look at her answer look at the way she defines herself and what that means for us today and for politics and for the world so within the context of british history now britain britain's main interactions with the rest of the world occurred during empire um, in the days before empire and obviously that culminated in slavery and enslaving people from the african continent for transatlantic slave trade and i just wanted to talk about slavery within the Caribbean because unlike America there were not as many um, enslaved people in Britain they weren't they didn't tend to be brought to Britain and if they did it was for um, work that you know occurred in the house and as domestic slaves and um, they were referred to whereas in America there was plantation slavery um, on cotton plantations and tobacco I believe uh, whereas in the Caribbean that was where most of the enslaved African people uh, ended up and that was to work within sugar plantations, uh, within cotton, tobacco and obviously as domestic slaves as well. Now, as we spoke about briefly in the Ray and Nephew episode, uh, maybe have a listen if you haven't already. It was one of my favourite episodes to make and the idea of, you know, sugar making rum and the fact that sugar plantations and sugar was the most profitable crop in the Caribbean in the 18th century. And so that meant that the societies in the Caribbean, especially in the British Caribbean, were essentially called slaving societies because of how much they revolved around slave labour and the products and the crops that were being cultivated and created based off of this labour. And so because society is literally thriving around these products and these methods of agriculture and production, 
everything is kind of defined by that. And so when we're looking at blackness, whiteness and race within the Caribbean context, especially so early on, these categorizations were imperative because they defined who could be enslaved and who was not to be enslaved. And to the point where every single breakdown of racial mix with black and white people was defined. And by black and white, I don't just mean um, black being African and white being British. White did tend to mean uh, anyone that was of European descent because obviously it wasn't just a British that had colonised an island like, say, Jamaica. The Spanish colonised prior to that. And a lot of the islands that were eventually colonised by Britain and were most influenced by Britain, so like Barbados and some of the other islands like that, the Bahamas, were colonised by other countries before. And so there would have been people um, of other European descents dotted around these islands. So I'm going to read a little extract from Gad Human's The Caribbean, A Brief History. Um, it's a really good book about the Caribbean quite broadly, but also it zooms in on specific islands and specific events. And it's perfect if you are one of those people that kind of wants to know about the Caribbean, but doesn't really know where to start, doesn't know what islands, what time periods, what who who is going to be interesting to you. Um, it's just a really good like starting place. It It goes through lots of different things like the history and then the culture and it takes it to quite a modern point. I think it gets to like the 20th 21st century even um, and I love it and I'm going to read you an extract that talks about the demarcations of people within the Caribbean. There the demarcations were mulatto the result of a union between black and white. Now all of these terms are obviously the terms that they use. Sorry I was meant to be reading the extract but I need to explain. These are the terms that were used to describe certain types of people based off of their their I was going to say ethnicity, but it's not really their ethnicity. It's based off of who their parents were and what they were going to be defined as by society. And there is obviously a rapper now who has taken the stage name Mulatto, uh, Alyssa Stevens. And this has caused some controversy because this was used as, firstly, it's a, a name to categorise people that were enslaved within the Caribbean and I believe in America as well. And also the fact that it was used as a slur uh, as time went on and she has now decided to reclaim this term, this name and call herself that um, as a mixed race person, which is obviously her choice and her prerogative. Um, but that's where it came from, if anybody, you know, wondered. So back to this extract. There were the demarcations were mulatto, the result of a union between black and white, sambo between black and mulatto, quadroon between mulatto and white. Musty between quadroon and white. Mustafino between musty and white. In Jamaica, the union of a Mustafino and a white produced a Quinteron, who was legally white and enjoyed all the rights of white. Now, that was a mouthful. There were a lot of names and a lot of bits of terminology. And a Mustafino, to me, sounds like a dish at Nando's. I know this is not even a laughing matter, but... I just think it was absolutely ridiculous that someone sat down and thought of all these names. But as I mentioned before, it pushed a political agenda. It categorised people so that these societies could define who was allowed to be enslaved and who was not to be enslaved. And as you know, as we got to the bottom of that list, uh, we got to a person who is a Quinteron, who was legally white and enjoyed all the rights of whites. And so if you can imagine, we started with a mulatto, which is somebody who is um, of black and white. Um, 
heritage, parentage, and we get all the way down to like a quintaroon who now can define as white again. And it just shows, first of all, the idea of this one drop rule, one quarter rule, one sixteenth rule that was prevalent in America. It was clearly a similar thing that was happening in the slave societies within Britain, in the Caribbean colonies. And they all had an impact on your social status, your economic status and your political abilities within that society. So in this case, there was obviously a benefit to being less and less black. Now, if we fast forward to 1948, back in modern Britain, modern British history, where I am comfortable and I feel safe. um, If you can imagine and remember the signs that said no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Now... Forgetting the no dogs, because the fact that, you know, human beings were actually on a list of no's with an animal, you know, it, it takes us to a very derogatory comparison, um, which is not the topic for today, although, you know, let that sink in. Irish is a nationality and an ethnicity, depending but we'll go with that for now. And black is a race. There is no black nationality. There is no black ethnicity, which just highlights how encompassing blackness is. And the fact that within modern British society in the post-war era, when all these people have been called to Britain to help the motherland, to rebuild the NHS, well, not rebuild, the NHS didn't exist before, to, you know, start up the NHS, to rebuild the country as manual labourers, to work in the services that white British people didn't want to work in, these people have been called from the Caribbean, from Africa, from Asia. And now you've got signs like no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. And the fact that black, which is a race, is a very big umbrella term. And it is bringing in a lot of people into this bubble of discrimination. And I think it's interesting because this persists. And you might be thinking, OK, they said no blacks. Who are they talking about? Well, they're actually talking about basically everyone that's not white or Irish, because they've already said no Irish, Um, because Asian people in Britain from the 1940s onwards are referred to as black. And this is really confusing for me, especially reading history now, reading any texts that were written in the 1970s, 80s, or any time before that, when they speak about black people, black people in Britain, black people's contribution, they are talking about black and Asian people because that is exactly the grouping that they fit into. That's a categorisation. It's only recently we have terms like BAME and BME, um, which is obviously black and Asian minority ethnic, black minority ethnic and ethnic minorities as a term. In the 80s, political blackness was a thing. That's what we call it now. Back then, you were just black. And political blackness is basically just othering everyone that's not white and putting them in this one label of black. You've got charities and movements. You've got the Southall Black Sisters. It's actually a movement of Asian women. But they would have been defined as black and that's the way they self-defined and that is the way society defined them. So now it's interesting when we fast forward to 2020 and we have someone like Kamala Harris. You know, is she black? Is she allowed to identify as black? And then if she's not, what is she? So in answer to that question in ways, this is what Kamala Harris said in response to the clip we heard at the beginning. Um, where people basically were questioning her blackness and within that her Americanness and whether she can be classified as a black American. So I was born in Oakland. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
and um, and raised in the United States, except for the years that I was in high school in Montreal, Canada. And look, this is the same thing they did to Barack. Yes, this is it, this is not new to us. And so I think that um, we know what they're trying to do. They're trying to do what has been happening over the last two years, which is powerful voices trying to sow hate and division among us. Mm -hmm. And so we need to recognize when we're being played. Before I dissect that, I just want to play a clip from the vice presidential debate that happened last week, because this is the whole reason why I started thinking about race and how we define it um, when I heard her speak about herself and kind of how she identifies. I was elected um, the first uh, woman of color and black woman to be elected attorney general of the state of California. So with an Indian mother and a Jamaican father, she kind of stuttered a little bit regarding, you know, what she was, the first woman of colour or black woman. She gives both um, as options. And I think that kind of plays into conversations that are happening on social media a lot now around Kamala's race. Um, there are a lot of think pieces, way too many think pieces about why she can define herself as black and why she can't define herself as black and why she's absolutely under no circumstance African-American. African-American and black are not the same thing. You can be one and not the other, as in you can be black but not African-American. If you are African-American, then you are going to be black. However, some people think that the only black people in the world are African-American. That is not the case. Blackness, first of all, as we've said, is something that is defined by society. And right now, the majority of the world and society are not just defining just African-Americans as black. So the fact that Kamala is not African-American because an African-American person is someone that doesn't necessarily know where in Africa they come from, but were enslaved in Africa, brought to America, and have been in America for generations, and typically are the descendants of slaves, um, enslaved people, sorry, and have, you know, lived through America when America was at its worst for black people. So they would have gone through slavery and the early 1900s and segregation and Jim Crow and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you are, as Kamala is, her mother is uh, Asian and her father is Jamaican, she does really fit into the category of black, not because of necessarily her Asian mother, maybe more from her Jamaican father. Um, she's obviously quite light in appearance and sometimes people link blackness to what you actually look like. Are you dark enough to define as black? There are so many different ways of defining it and the fact that this is coming up in a presidential debate and as she mentioned, you know, it's the same thing that was done to Obama with um, a white mother and an African father. Nobody was, you know, suggesting that he couldn't call himself African or he, but people were definitely questioning whether he could be defined as African-American, which technically, no. Um, and there were people that were saying, you know, should he even be defining as black because he is of a white parent and a black parent? And then obviously 
you know, there were people that were saying, similarly with Kamala, are they even American? Do they even have the right to be holding such high office in this country? And whilst we could think that, oh, yeah, well, maybe they're just checking their citizenship, just checking they're eligible. Well, obviously, they're eligible. They've been senators in massive states for how many years they have papers, they have documents to prove that. And again, I think it's an attack on not necessarily blackness, but not being white because if it was a white candidate even with parents from different countries I don't think people would be asking the question of oh are they American enough um, are they eligible to hold this this office in this country um, and she is right when she says you know it is a tactic used by some really loud voices to divide people um, at the end of the day you know whatever your political beliefs are and whatever you believe about Kamala's policies Joe policies anybody's policies what she is able to define herself as and what the world is defining her as, it shouldn't really matter, technically speaking. I know it definitely does matter. It shouldn't really matter because race is a social construct and has been constructed out of the political agendas of society today. It does matter, however, because that is the world we live in and these things are unfortunately important. I'm going to leave it there. There are so many questions. I'm sure there's so many things that might be running through your mind right now. I don't think this is a topic that can ever be sewn up in a neat bow and you can ever have a proper full understanding of it and have a definitive answer and opinion on where you stand necessarily. Um, but I hope I've managed to kind of probe you to think about some things about race and defining ourselves as certain things and who has the kind of final say on what we define ourselves as when it comes to race. Thank you so much for listening. That is definitely all we have time for today. But as I said, I hope it's probed some really good questions in your mind. And, you know, if you are voting in this election, make sure you do use your vote wisely. Make sure you use your vote, exercise your right um, or not. It's completely up to you. We're living in a crazy world at the moment. But I hope you all have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.